It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. It's Thursday. It's February 29th. Bob, did we think of something for the leap year? You know, that was that was one oh, of the other things right. that we were supposed to come up with today. We had Major League Baseball hot seat uh, coaches and I'm managers. Re- I'm re- yeah, I'm ready for that. Okay. Uh, I did not do. I, I do not have. Uh, I did not uh, have the leap year thing that escaped my brain. Sorry. All right. But, Shoot. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, we'll have uh, to uh, do uh, something uh, then. Well, well, hold on. You're far smarter than me. You should have thought about this and came up like a list of things. Well, I will say that so, my grandma sent me a really cute picture of some like frogs for leap year. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. So that's all I, like I have that. to contribute at the moment. <laughs> okay, well that's better than I was gonna do. So there you go. So you're you very impressed. That that's actually an excellent idea. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, it is a leap year. Uh, February 29th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. As you've realized, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. As promised, uh, yesterday we had gotten into Major League Baseball and managers that were on the hot seat. We got through uh, five of them. And then I asked Bob, uh, who on this list is not on this list that should be on the list? And so he had some homework assignments. So we'll get into his thoughts on that here throughout today's show. We'll also dive into the Phoenix Suns getting back on the court tonight, NBA, as well as college hoops from last night that included ASU and the U of A. But let's get Get things started first with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Should former ASU quarterback Jaden Daniels be selected ahead of Drake May in the 2024 NFL draft? And I should point out Jefferson Powell from TigerDetails.com joined Bob in the 10 o'clock hour to talk all things LSU football and Jaden Daniels. So if you missed it, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com. But the masses, they're on the yes side of things at 67% of the vote. No sitting at 33%. Yeah, Daniels and May are most mentioned in uh, the media mock drafts as the second and third quarterbacks. And in most mock drafts, it appears the second and third selections of the upcoming draft, obviously behind Caleb Williams, uh, who we talked about in this segment and with his question yesterday. We'll officially provide our answer today around 1230. Tossing this on over to X AM 1060. Should the Arizona Cardinals trade Buda Baker? The masses are on the no side of things at 69.6% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 30.4%. This was a uh, more than an occasional question. At least we did it you know, multiple times last year in 2023. Uh, you know, remember there was the training camp or the uh, the report before training camp that he wanted to be traded and so forth. Uh, and uh, his contract is up after this year. Uh, so, you know, that's something that I think the Cardinals uh, probably should consider. But my prediction is, at least for right now, that this is going to be, again, a frequent question uh, in 2024 unless the Cardinals actually trade Baker before the draft. 
Another question that will get answered around 1230 t- today. Plenty of time for you to cash, uh, cash your vote. In addition to that, if you'd like to voice your opinion with us, feel free to do so. We'll take calls today at 1130 and 1215-602-260-1060 is the number. Let's dive into it from last night. ASU and U of A from Tempe on the hardwood. ASU was down 14 at the half. They tried to claw their way back to down six. That was the closest that it would be in the second half. U of A eventually pulled away with an 85-67 to 67 Wednesday night victory. All five starters for the U of A scored in double digits, and I should point out here that Ballo extended his double-double streak with 14 points and 13 rebounds. He's now two games shy of tying the double-double school record streak and three away from breaking it. Conveniently, three games left for the U of A. Okay, Al Fleming, I believe, holds that record, uh, who I went to school with back in the day. Uh, well, not I, he was uh, my best friend was on the bat. Actually, my two best friends at the U of A were on the basketball team and played with Al Fleming, so I knew Al a little bit. Uh, a tremendous player at the college level. I uh, found actually, I believe the Suns even drafted him. Uh, back in the day, and then he ended up playing a little bit in the NBA, but mostly played in Europe for a few years. He was an excellent college player uh, in the, the 1972 to 75, 76 era, somewhere in there. Uh, tremendous, you know, small forward or power forward in those days. He was like 6'8 as a power forward. Uh, great baseline shooter, tremendous rebounder. Might be the leading, he might be the all-time U of A leading rebounder, in fact. Anyway, uh, I'm pretty sure that that's whose record uh, that Balo uh, is trying to chase here. Uh, yeah, and as for U of A, uh, you know, obviously getting themselves a win, staying atop there of the Pac-12 standings at the moment. For ASU, they were led by Adam Miller, 16 points, 6 of 8 shooting, followed by Frankie Collins, who's 15 points, but 4 of 18 shooting. Interestingly enough as well, U of A shot 54.2% from the floor, ASU shooting 35%. U of A, though, having 14 turnovers to ASU's 8 yeah, I think this game kind of was uh, you know, not how I expected because I thought the ASU would cover the number, but they didn't. But I think just kind of a quick analysis here. Uh, the U of A was interested from the start of the game, and they were up. Uh, they took a 30-12 to 12 lead in this game. Uh, then I think the U of A got bored, uh, and uh, ASU competed, and uh, they trailed by – in fact, I think they only – I had a score here at 61-56. to 56. They got it to five. And then from that point on, the U of A ended the game on a 24-11 run. Uh, and I just basically think when the U of A was interested, they did pretty much whatever they wanted to do. At no point, I'll put it this way, at no point did I think that ASU was ever going to win the game. Uh, you know, they were down 16 in the second half. And as I mentioned, I think they caught it to five. Uh, and they certainly competed as opposed to the 11 days previous in Tucson when they lost by 45. When they didn't compete and, quite, quite frankly, I thought quit in that game. Uh, so that that's a good thing that they were able to do that. I really don't think that ASU could have played any better because they're just not good enough. Uh, they, they definitely match up horribly against the U of A in many areas. Uh, you know, not just talent, but just, you know, strengths, weaknesses, etc. And we saw a lot of the things that we've seen from ASU all along uh, this particular season resurfaced. They got crushed in the in the paint. 
inside, and then the paint, they got re- out-rebounded by eight, which is actually not terrible for ASU to only be out-rebounded re- by eight. They were minus 11 in second-chance points. That happens almost every game, no matter who they play. And uh, in the pay- points in the paint, it was 44-20, to 20, which is actually better than it was you know, 11 days ago. And I, if I remember correctly, the U of A had a 45-point advantage in points in, paint, in the paint in the first meeting. Uh, so they got better. Um, the good, uh, yeah, hopefully, I just I don't need to see ASU and U of A play for a third time in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, yeah, I want. I think it would be just more fun for everybody if ASU played somebody else and if the U of A played somebody else. Uh, so we'll see what's going on. Uh, ASU doesn't play for another week. Uh, they don't play the next Thursday at USC. Uh, final regular season games against the LA schools. The U of A does play on Saturday. Final home game of the year for the U of A and McHale against Oregon. And Oregon, unfortunately, is now down to seven scholarship players because of injuries and illness. Uh, yeah, speaking of that, U of A out in front in the Pac-12 standings at 13-4, and four, WSU at 12-5. and five. I do believe WSU plays tonight. Oregon sitting at 11-6, and six, and ASU has fallen to 8-10 and 10 in the standings for Pac-12 play. Yeah, and, and keep in mind if Washington State, and really if you take a look at the schedule, I mean the U of A still has to play at uh, UCLA and at USC, and USC actually has all its players, and you know, USC is a team I think could actually make a run in the Pac-12 tournament if they're three studs uh, who have been available here for the last couple of weeks and they beat UCLA at Poly Pavilion last Saturday night. If those guys are all playing, I wouldn't be shocked if USC actually made a run in the Pac-12 tournament. They're 11th in the conference at 5-11. and 11. Uh, I'm just going to guess here. They, you know, Of the 16 conference games they've played, I'm thinking that the three, their three best players have maybe played five games simultaneously this year in conference games. And uh, if they're all playing next week or two weeks from now in Las Vegas, I think they can make a run in the tournament, which is nuts. But, you know, I actually think uh, Colorado, USC, and also uh, there was a third team, or Stanford, which should be much better than it is. They're 7-10 and 10 and tied for ninth in the conference. Uh, Stanford, but those three teams I think are actually good enough where they could put it together for a couple of days and win more games than you probably would expect in the Pac-12 tournament. Moving into the other contest from last night that was uh, intriguing for many, number four, Tennessee, and number 11, Auburn. Number four, Tennessee, though, coming out on top, 92-84. to Johnny Broom for Auburn, 23 points, 9 of 16 from the floor, 9 rebounds and 5 assists. Meanwhile, Tennessee's Dalton Connect, 39 points, 12 of 21. Tennessee went to the line 35 times, shooting 77%. Auburn went 28 times, shooting 75%. And we had kind of talked about Tennessee. I had asked you about them earlier in the week. Uh, maybe they're not flying under the radar anymore. No, they, I don't think they've been flying under the radar at any point this week, this year, I should say. But uh, I think there's a lot of people, including myself, that don't fully trust them because they've had some really good teams and fallen short in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but they've never had a guy like Tal- Dalton Connect on their team. And uh, he, uh, I think you could make a case. It's, just, it's not going to happen because everybody's given Zach Eady the National Player of the Year award like three months ago. But if I actually had a vote, which I don't, I would vote for Dalton Connect to be the national player of the year in college basketball. 
Um, he is tremendous. I don't, you know, I know that this has nothing to do with NFL, or excuse me, NFL, <laughs> NBA, uh, you know, their future. I think that Edie is a bench player in the NBA. I think that Connect is a you know, possible star player in the NBA. Uh, then we also have number five. Oh. Uh, well, let, me, let me add, I'm sorry, I apologize. I should have mentioned this. Let me add one more thing about Auburn. I was more impressed with them losing the game last night. Well, two more things. One, you mentioned those foul numbers. This game was really difficult to watch because the officials blew their whistle every five seconds. Just you know, this game could have been much better if they just let them play a little bit, but they didn't. Uh, that, that was sad. As far as Auburn, I was actually more impressed with them losing this game on the road than they have than I have been at any point this season. Uh, because I didn't know if they could even compete against a good team on the road for the most part. They've been unbelievably good at home and really, I think, uh, disappointing, to put it kindly, on the road. But last night, the fact that they did compete, and they were they had a chance to win this game, uh, connect just every time that Auburn made a run. Uh, and actually, Auburn took a brief lead there with about five minutes to go, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, just every time they had a chance to get you know, take the lead or you know, extend the lead or whatever to you know, win the game, uh, Connect came down and made an incredible play. Uh, you know, your point about being impressed with Auburn in a loss here, does that kind of fuel the sentiment that uh, Auburn's really a team that's starting to come together and hit their stride here as we've seen winning five of their last seven, now it's uh, five of their last eight, but still uh, starting to kind of find it before the tournament? I need to see more uh, to say to go that far because one of those games they lost, they got killed at home by Kentucky, and I mean, got they were undefeated at home before two Saturdays ago when Kentucky went in there. They they not only was Auburn undefeated at home and before that game, they won every game by double digits, and Kentucky went in there and just blew them out of the building. I mean, they just badly beat them. Uh, so I need to see more. The good news is. Uh, pretty much no matter who they play in the SEC tournament, it's probably going to be a good game, and uh, we're going to get a couple weeks of uh, tournament play. Now, Auburn has a very easy schedule in the next couple of weeks in the SEC regular season. In fact, uh, they broke that down during this game last night during all the damn fouls. They had plenty of time to do that. Uh, I'm guessing, I, I wonder if they would have even had time to do it if it wasn't for all the stupid fouls called in that game. Uh, but you know, they broke down the schedule, and Auburn has a much easier schedule uh, to end the regular season than Tennessee or Alabama. Uh, number five, Marquette cruised past Providence 91-69. You said you weren't even going to bother watching it, uh, and the score showed why. Uh, right. I did not. The only way I was going to watch this is if I saw a score on the game I was watching that indicated that the game might be you know, worth tuning over, uh, flipping over towards. I did not watch one second of this game. And it was even worse than I thought it would be, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, yes. Uh, then we have number 10, Duke beating Louisville 84-59. to Kyle Filipowski, 9 points, 10 rebounds in 29 minutes of play. Uh, yeah, I know there's some people wondering how hurt actually was he. Then you have number 12, Creighton topping Seton Hall, 85-64. to 64. Uh, You know, we had kind of talked about that, that Creighton in their position after 
topping UConn, taking down a number one team, then the little bit of an emotional letdown, losing to St. John's, getting back into their emotional standard here and taking care of Seton Hall. Yeah, I talked about Richmond and his importance uh, for Seton Hall yesterday. Well, he had two fouls before the second television timeout, and the second call was an absolutely horrible call. And, you know, hopefully people have listened to this show long enough, and Kayla, you've listened to me long enough. I rarely bitch about officiating unless it absolutely is necessary. But between the Auburn game last night and the officiating in that Auburn-Tennessee game, and the second foul on this with Richmond, the pretty the officials pretty much ruined my college basketball pleasure last night because the other couple of games I was somewhat interested in just weren't very good. Uh, then you have tonight, we mentioned it, WSU playing USC, 8.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Number 17, St. Mary's taking on Pepperdine. Pepperdine's not very good. Number 23, Gonzaga taking on San Francisco. And that's... Uh, that could be an interesting game there. The uh, the Pepperdine-San Francisco game could be... You know, the point spread is... You know, the, the, it's, the, the, the general public is on San Francisco in this game as far as the point spread, which has gone from five to three and a half the last that I looked, which was like an hour ago. Uh, so that could be a fun game. Yeah, and then we'll be planning and preparing uh, for tomorrow to discuss several games for Saturday ahead in College Hoops. And Sunday. Uh, this is a good weekend for college basketball and uh, you know the 10-15 uh, segment of the Sports Zone. Kayla, I forgot who we're going to have on. I apologize. Oh, it's Ricky O'Donnell. Uh, Ricky O'Donnell. Okay, thank you very much. Sorry about that. Uh, but we'll have Ricky on tomorrow, and I'll remember. Oh, I know. You know, I'll remember him for sure by tomorrow. I promise. Uh, I'll remember him maybe in the next five. If you ask me in five minutes, I might remember that. Um, but uh, we'll preview the college basketball weekend with Ricky. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to the weekend of college basketball more, much more so than tonight's games, which um, yeah, well, we have the Suns to watch. Correct. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that game either, though. By the way, maybe I'll be, maybe I'll be entertained, but I've not been entertained by very many Suns games in the last like two or three weeks. We'll get into the Suns in hour number two. Next, we'll talk about some NFL here in the Extra Point. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly, right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos1060 app bob camp kayla mortellaro here with you now diving into uh it's nfl combine week so the athletic put together some what we're following for all 32 teams for the nfl combine here get through some of these teams if we can and we'll start with the arizona cardinals and and really i think you could probably pick uh almost any sort of direction to to follow this team in but here it was how big of a priority is an upgrade at wide receiver the prevailing opinion here right now is that the cardinals would take marvin harrison jr at number four thinking that the top three spots are going to have quarterbacks go in some way shape or form but what happens if there's a shakeup and he gets selected at number three would the cardinals then want to take romeo dunze or malik neighbors 
or as Monty Austin Ford had said in his press conference earlier this week, that he'll be making some calls and see what's what for the number four overall pick, see if there's any traction there to move around in the draft. There's some options ahead of them here, but I'm just curious if Marvin Harrison Jr. for you, Bob, is unavailable and nothing can can transpire uh, for movement of that draft pick, would you be okay with Rome Odunze at a number four? Who said I think they should take a car uh, wide receiver number four? Did I say that before? No, I, I'm I don't. just going okay. off of what okay. the uh, the okay. athletic here is priority okay. for wide receiver. Because I don't think the Cardinals should take a wide receiver number four. Uh, I think that they should either take an offensive tackle or trade down and take a tackle and take a receiver later in the draft because there's a million of receivers, million of them. Yes, this is a heavy, heavy wide receiver draft for certain. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, how does tier two of the quarterback class shake out for them? Uh, the Falcons will likely have absolutely no chance here to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. Do they have any value in order to try to trade up to get Jaden Daniels? Uh, if they could move up, would they? Or staying pat? J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, or potentially here an option for them, free agency. But I think the thing is clear that uh, they can't stay with what they had in 2023. No, there's no doubt about that. Uh, No question. I also think that it seems highly likely uh, that they're going to trade this pick and trade down and do whatever they can and uh, try to trade for a quarterback. Uh, that is an established NFL quarterback, whether it's Justin Fields. I heard on ESPN yesterday they had Kirk Cousins mentioned as a possibility there. Uh, but I think it's much more uh, likely that the, the, the Falcons trade for an established NFL quarterback than draft one. Number three, uh, the Baltimore Ravens here. Which agents is general manager Eric DaCosta going to meet with this week? The Ravens come in with the 30th overall pick. They aren't immune to having needs, though, in this draft with offensive line, running back, and edge rusher. But they probably aren't going to be moving up in the draft. So at 30, they're likely to stay there or even move back for more picks. I think the thing here is will DaCosta be able to gain momentum to sign a plethora of free agents that he has Justin Matabuke, Patrick Queen certainly come to mind amongst 24 free agents in all. Seems unlikely they're going to be able to keep both those guys. Uh, you know, that's at least what I've heard this week on NFL Network and, and NFL Live on ESPN. Uh, so there's that. Uh, if this, you know, the offensive line pool is as good as it, you know, it's supposed to be, uh, I think that they can get one, a really good offensive lineman at 30th. Um, when it comes to the Ravens here, you were talking there about unlikely to be able to find a way to keep Matabuke and Queen. Uh, is there someone that you would prioritize if you were the oh, general manager? I would always go for the defensive lineman, the interior defensive lineman that can provide a pass rush. There'd be no, no matter who we're talking, what Patrick Queen or anybody, any linebacker, I would always, I probably shouldn't say always, Almost always uh, take the defensive lineman, the, the interior defensive lineman, the down defensive lineman that can get a pass rush because what are there, like five guys in the world that can do that? <laughs> I'd, take, I'd keep that guy. Fair enough. The Buffalo Bills. Uh, how will the Bills navigate their currently non-existent salary cap space? 
nearly they are 41 million dollars in debt for 2024 so certainly some tough decisions are going to be ahead who are they going to cut who will they potentially be restructuring who will they try to extend to kick the can down the road for some of these cap uh, dead cap space issues the other thing of interest here with the buffalo bills is yes they are in this cap predicament but they also have a lot of positional needs ahead that need to be addressed so this is going to be an interesting offseason for general manager brandon bean and and really coming up with a good balancing act okay well, i'm sure brandon's going to call me anytime now so if he did uh, my suggestion would be: Here's where I would start. I would just get rid of Diggs and re. You know, you, you know, that's that's a nice cap uh, relief there, right there. I don't know what his cap. I don't think I don't know if there's a cap hit there, but I would not have him on my roster anymore. Uh, he's a pain in the ass, obviously. He also his you know, ability and is able to separate last year really disappeared. He wasn't very good. He certainly wasn't worth the money that they paid him. And uh, you know, he was he was not even an upper echelon wide receiver, in my opinion, based on performance last year. Carolina Panthers, uh, the team's new coach and general manager. This is obviously uh, Dan Morgan and uh, Dave Canales' first time in their respective positions here. Dan Morgan has said this week that he'll be talking to Brian Burns' representation uh, this week. He said that if a deal... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And if he said if a deal doesn't get worked out, they think that they would be using the franchise tag on him. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. also some other defensive players that are up for free agency. He said they have an intention of re-signing linebacker Frankie Vuvu and said that they look to extend Derek Brown at some point. The other thing of concern is the offensive side. It was very clear last season that Bryce Young needs a lot of help. Offensive line, wide receivers could go a long way in trying to help calm uh, calm down what was going on behind, under center. So will the young group of Dave Canales and Dan Morgan be able to handle their first offseason? Be really interesting because obviously Canales is an offensive guy. Dan Morgan was a tremendous defensive player before he had to cut uh, cut his career short because of injury. He was a great player at Miami, uh, one of my favorite players to watch in college and pro when he's at Miami and Carolina in, in the NFL. Uh, so uh, I don't know if it's a I don't think it's a tug of war because you've got the general manager who hired Canellis <laughs> as the uh, after the he took the job as the uh, GM or whatever his official title is in Carolina. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, definitely the Brian Burns thing is something that absolutely positively has to be done. And you know before the you know we, the offensive line was a the offensive line was bad and. You know, Jane Daniels is a short quarterback, and I would be surprised if he or Kyler Murray ever amount to much of anything, quite frankly. Even though I will say that uh, that uh, not Daniels, uh, that, Bryce Young. Uh, you know, Bryce Young. He's a far more accurate passer than than, than Kyler Murray certainly is. Uh, so I'll give him that. But I would be at this point really surprised if either of them were ever anything more than a mediocre NFL quarterback. So. I guess you can't go out and draft a quarterback because they basically blew their whole draft and put their organization behind the eight ball when they did that last year. Chicago Bears, how will Kayla Williams handle the limelight here? Uh, Bears and other teams are obviously going to take notice of how Caleb handles the media this week. And then, of course, questions that have basically been off the field and they haven't even come from him, uh, but have certainly surrounded him and his team. 
Yeah, this team thing. I think it's just his dad. Maybe I'm speaking completely out of turn here. But after talking about USC yesterday, uh, in that whole situation, it seems like it's just his dad that has a big mouth and wants some attention. Uh, yeah, he's got representation. Uh, he doesn't have a, quote, official NFL agent, but he has representation. And uh, just based on what I read that he said yesterday uh, to ESPN, it, uh, I think he has a pretty good idea. He mentioned deep dish pizza, so he's, he's he definitely understands. And Michael Jordan. He mentioned Michael Jordan, too. So he's trying to get on the right side of the people in Chicago. I think this is a, uh, uh, like I said, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but this appears to be a par- uh, parent that has a big mouth and wants attention. The Cincinnati Bengals, the defensive tackle class, they certainly need help, and this has been identified here uh, for for needs either in free agency or uh, through the draft, need help at interior defensive line. Will it be Byron Murphy from Texas? Will it be Jer- Jazir Zen Newton from Illinois. Uh, if that doesn't seem like a possibility, then how are the Bengals going to be able to pivot their draft strategy to certainly address this hole? Uh, no idea. That's a good question. They've got lots of holes. I mean, they, you know, right tackle uh, is a big one. You know, inside linebacker is another one. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, and I don't know if they were really pleased the way that the safety you know, transition worked out last year after they lost the two veterans the year before. Uh, they've got a lot of holes, and they've got a lot of players that they need to pay a lot of money to in the near future here. Uh, so they've got uh, – we might have actually seen the Bengals at their best uh, two years ago, and obviously the other they went to the Super Bowl. And, and I don't know if they're ever going to be any better than they were in those two years. The Cleveland Browns, the wide receivers, can Andrew Barry um... – you know, identify some wide receivers to draft here. Obviously, uh, they don't have a pick until number 54, so they'll have to figure out who they like that would be a second or a third round grade. In addition to that, I'd have to think that he'd be active all week long talking to agents about free agency. Yeah, they definitely tack free agency. But I do think that considering how deep this wide receiver pool is, they should have no problem. Uh, finding a really good wide receiver in the second or third round. Uh, that should not be an issue. Uh, just look at all the receivers that you know, all the receivers that have come out of you know, you know, you know big time programs and and so forth. Hell, just draft somebody from LSU. <laughs> no matter you know, last 10 years, draft somebody from LSU that's a wide receiver. Uh, but wide receivers should actually be the least of their concerns at this point because it seems like there are a hundred of those in this upcoming draft on the other side we'll continue forth with the dallas cowboys if you'd like to chime in feel free to do so in today's show 602-260-1060 is the number we'll take your phone calls now and talk to you on the other side of the break it is the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. 
to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060, online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app Thursday, February 29th. Continuing forth with the conversation, what we're following for all 32 teams this week, NFL Combine, uh, based upon the athletic putting things together. They're continuing forth with the Dallas Cowboys here. And, you know, this is something that uh, certainly makes a ton of sense. What's the latest with Dak Prescott's contract situation? So he um, so here's the thing. Obviously, the Cowboys need an offensive line. They need linebacker help and they need defensive tackle help. But Prescott's contract could certainly impact everything moving forward here. If they don't do anything with Dak's contract and let him play out the final season of it, he'd count just under $60 million toward the 2024 cap and leave the Cowboys with very little options here in free agency. So you'd have to think that something is going to get done. But it's also kind of curious in general uh, with Mike McCarthy coming back for for one season and one last hurrah, what all of that kind of means. Yeah, I believe it's been reported earlier this week, in fact, really early this week, like Sunday or Saturday or several days ago, that this is going to get done for sure. Uh, Stephen Jones just kind of gave a no comment uh, because I'm sure he didn't want to exactly say, well, we're already working on that or whatever. But it would be shocking if they didn't do a redo Dax contract and whatever. So does so this lead to the position? They need to get a linebacker that's bigger than 205 pounds. Yes, I think that would be very helpful. Um and, and which is exactly they had an inside linebacker that was 205 pounds for a chunk of the season last year. Not joking, not being sarcastic for a change. And to help as well with run defense. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exactly what, yeah, that, yeah. that's why. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, you know, teams, you know, hell, you know, I, I could be the dumbest offensive core. I could be Kellen Moore, the dumbest offensive coordinator in the NFL. And I would realize I just need to run at the inside linebacker. I, we can get a lot of yards there. The Denver Broncos here, the Russell Wilson watch. $37 million becomes guaranteed in 2025 if he's still on the roster March 17th. Uh, but what direction here do the Broncos turn if Wilson isn't the quarterback? And by all accounts, it seems like he's not going to be the quarterback here. So will they have anything uh, to be able to... Uh, go after anybody in free agency or how are they going to be able to, to move forward uh, with a new quarterback? J.G. McCarthy, I heard a hundred times now this week that uh, that's the most likely landing spot for him. However, uh, if the uh, Falcons trade the eighth pick of the draft or they keep the eighth pick in the draft, why wouldn't they take J.J. McCarthy? I believe today is the day that the, uh, well, I, I, my, my apologies. Yesterday was the day that I know that at least some of the quarterbacks met with a lot of teams. Uh, so, But he's going to absolutely knock the socks off of anybody he talks to, whether it's you or I or an NFL coach or a general manager. This guy is a dynamic human being. And whenever he had to make a play, in fact, they're showing him right now on NFL Network. <laughs> uh, whenever he had to make a play, uh, in a big game for Michigan, he made the play. 
Uh, then we have the Detroit Lions, the cornerback class. Will the Lions use pick number 29 on quarter, or will they use it? Uh, they have three picks on day two, number 61, number 73, and 92. Obviously, corner was an area of need, uh, so will they be able to you know, get, obviously, some testing and media and uh, be able to talk to the different corners, and who's going to start separating themselves to be identified as who the Lions want? You know, I haven't heard much about the cornerback class here in the last few days. I don't know if it's not good. Um, you know, the top two or three guys are somewhat recognizable. If you watch University of Toledo football at all last year, he might be the best guy. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just wonder whether you, know, you could make a case that in, a, in a regular year with lots of good corners, If I don't know if this is one or not, uh, that they could use two of those picks just on corners alone. Two of them. To your point, I haven't heard much about the corner class this year. Um, I've certainly heard enough about the wide receiver class, and I've certainly heard enough about the offensive line class. But when it comes to corner, not really hearing an insane amount of depth, just like not really hearing any depth, uh, and there's no depth really uh, for edge rushers. That's true. I mean, I think I've heard more about the uh, what's not good than what actually is good, except for the wide receiving situation. Uh, so, and I guess what the top three quarterbacks or top four quarterbacks, depending on who you believe in, uh, we'll answer that question in the next hour a little bit. Uh, I think I kind of gave away my answer to the, that poll <laughs> question in yesterday's show, by the way, <laughs> but sorry about that. Uh, but if you were paying attention, you already know my answer to that question, but, uh, yeah, it, I'm not exactly sure other than like defensive tackle, which apparently just sucks. Uh, I haven't heard a whole lot of negativity. Uh, what positions are awful, but that's uh, the one position that seemingly everybody seems to believe is not any good at all in this draft. The Green Bay Packers, Jordan Love extension talks. General manager Brian Gutenkunst will probably be talking to his management uh, agent, David Maluga, about Jordan Love. Love can't sign an extension until after May 3rd, uh, but Love certainly had his play and the Packers being in the position that they were for some contract extension talks. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to think of Gordon Love's. He's been in the league for two years now, right? Three years. I've lost track. Three, right? So, yeah, I guess you have to do this. I would I'd be nice if you could wait a year and just not go on you know, half of a really good season before you decide on the you know, future of your franchise, which is what this is. Uh, but you know, I don't think that they're really up. I think they're kind of up against it time-wise. Yeah, so he was drafted in 2020, and then obviously this was his first year as a starter, so he'll be going into his fourth year in the NFL, yeah, but okay, so that's, only they one have no year. Choice, yeah. Huh? Okay, well, un that's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, they kept Aaron Rodgers one year too long, which we said at the time. Houston Texans, Nick Casario's plan to build on last season. You know, maybe uh, the rebuild here for the Houston Texans in the timeline certainly has been sped up with what the success brought in 2023 and C.J. Stroud being as uh, rock solid as he was last year as a rookie for the Texans. They have a good amount of cap space. They have eight total draft selections here. So what, uh, what sort of mixture of veterans and young players will Nick Casario uh, and D'Amico Ryans have up their sleeve to continue to develop this Houston Texans squad. Better be offensive line. And let me backtrack on what I was just saying a couple minutes ago. You know, that's another area that it appears there's lots of offensive linemen in this draft. 
So this is, you know, if your team in need of offensive linemen and there's a whole bunch of teams that are falling into that category in the NFL right now, uh, this is apparently a good draft for you. The Indianapolis Colts, who will catch the eye of Colts wide receivers coach Reggie Wayne. Apparently it was last uh, NFL combine here that Reggie Wayne really liked Josh Downs. Uh, he liked his route running. He liked his sure-handedness during the combine. He told that to general manager with the Colts and they ended up selecting him in the third round and he had a productive rookie season for the Colts here. So which wide receiver class, which is as stacked as it is, is going to catch Reggie Wayne's attention this year? Okay, well, the big thing yesterday is that Chris Ballard basically almost guaranteed that they're going to keep Michael Pittman Jr. somehow, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but if they do keep him, I would think that wide receiver would be less, as a, less, less of a priority if they actually figure out a way to keep him. Yeah, if they keep him, then you're right. I think definitely less of a priority. Um, you know, certainly they could use, I mean, everyone can use offensive line help, but also uh, you could use some defensive Defensive uh, defensive help there for the Indianapolis Colts. Go on to that side of the football. True. We'll, we'll continue on with the Jacksonville Jaguars on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, wrapping up hour number one on this Thursday, February 29th. Continuing the things that are catching the attention of the Athletic for NFL Combine Week. And we're moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars here. How will they handle the tricky Calvin Ridley situation? Uh, so just as a reminder here, if the Jaguars re-sign Ridley before free agency begins, it's going to count as an extension, and the Jaguars have to send Atlanta a second-round pick in 2024. If he goes into free agency and re-signs with the Jaguars in free agency, the Jags have to send a third-round pick to Atlanta. But obviously, in free agency, that allows others to get involved in uh, talking to Calvin Ridley. But I'm curious, uh, do you think Calvin Ridley and his production with the Jaguars last season is enough to go through all of this, uh, all, all of this in order to bring him back? Not even close. I mean, this shouldn't even be a question. Uh, but the Jags have made some really stupid front office decisions here in the last couple of years. So why did not, why not another one? And if they kept Ridley, this would be near the top of the list of their stupidity. The Kansas City Chiefs, tier two of the receiver and tight end prospects. The Chiefs have already released Marquez Valdez-Scantling this week to save $12 million. Uh, com- combined to start identifying new wide receiver talent here. Also, should they maybe start looking into a new tight end uh, just to have someone in the fold with Travis Kelsey going to be turning 35 this season? Yeah, I would think that's a really good idea. Uh, but, you know, they've got a... You know, I think they obviously the tackle tackle positions, and it depends on what happens with Chris Jones and the cornerbacks, plural cornerbacks. Yeah, Logarius Sneed is the one that certainly made the the most noise in terms of the franchise tag trade situation conversation from earlier this week. 
Right. And, uh, yeah, so they've got, it's not like they've known that these decisions are coming for months. So I'm sure they're prepared to try to do what they can do. And they mentioned that Chris Jones is the number one priority assigning him to a long-term contract, but that could just be complete, you know, BS. And, you know, they, I'm sure they said exactly the same thing last year when he ended up holding out into the season. The Las Vegas Raiders, the quarterback prospects. It's going to be incredibly difficult for them and highly unlikely that the Raiders will be able to draft any of the top three quarterbacks. So where do they turn? They have the 13th overall pick. J.J. McCarthy seems to be flying up boards, so that's not going to make it to the 13th overall pick. So do they turn to Bo Nix? Do they turn to Michael Penix Jr.? Are they able to get anyone in free agency? I saw a mock draft yesterday from Mel Kuyper. He didn't have Penix or Knicks even in the first round. Uh, the Penix thing is not surprising me because of all his injury issues. We talked about Knicks yesterday and the, uh, the lack of arm strength possibly, you know, turning off some NFL teams. I think the Raiders are an absolute mess, and what they need to do is they need to trade Devontae Adams and get as many picks as they possibly can because in spite of their supposed hot streak and Antonio Pierce turning their team around last year, there are few rosters in the NFL that have a lower level of talent than the uh, than the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I didn't think about which which city are they playing in this year. Still in Las Vegas, right? They are still uh, there. They they basically have they have very few NFL caliber starting players on their roster. We will table this discussion for now to start hour number two. It's the Phoenix Suns. They're back on the court tonight hosting the Houston Rockets. We'll get into them and the rest of the NBA here on KDOS AM 1060.